0: You're listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. To learn more about the Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at the Called Collective.
1: How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Grace Podcast. I'm so glad you're here with us this week to listen to this amazing time of diving deep into something spiritual. This week, we are going to be talking about prioritizing our families in ministry. And I'm very excited to have my guest here today. His name is Dr. David Smith. You'll never, ever hear anybody call him Dr. David Smith. He'll always, most generally, be called Dave and that's that's your preference is it not it is indeed all yes. right uh, so Dave has his PhD from Durham University he has his master's of divinity from Asbury Theological Seminary and he's got a bunch of other degrees as well including one I see here an associate's degree in business data processing
0: computer programmer
1: that's that, that's that was right the beginning
0: of my calling
1: <laughs> so it's it's a pleasure to have you on Thanks, Tyler. It's great to be here this morning. So let's jump right into talking about families. So, tell me a little bit about your family, if you would. Um,
0: can I can I go back uh, the whole generation? Absolutely. Um, I grew up in a wonderful, loving home, but it really wasn't when I say uh, a Christian home. Uh, we attended church a couple of times a year at best, but we really it was not a Christian home. Mm. So, the priorities were set much more by culture than by the church.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, at times when I came to Christ, I had to do some reorientation, um, recalibrating, if you will, yeah. to ask whether or not my family was actually being developed and ministered to with the care that I wanted that would be honoring to God. Mm. So, yeah. So, are you married? Do you have children? Uh, yes been married to Angie um this year's our 40th anniversary oh wow so awesome we have four kids two of them were ours by birth they then got married so we have four so it's kind of nice two of them we actually paid for and the other two came fully paid oh that's so. that's really
1: sweet yeah. that's sweet how long did you spend as a pastor
0: um I'm even a Pastor today, as, that, is funny. that is true. That uh, is true. Most students would recognize this—that I am actually a pastor masquerading as a professor. <laughs> that, that's who I am. But in terms of professional ministry, Angie and I had two stints in local churches—one uh, fairly short, and another about six years. Um, so we we had um, ministry experience, and I, and I will tell you that. When I thought seriously about pursuing a PhD to teach in an institution like Indiana Wesleyan, I had a number of pastors come to me and say, "Why have you abandoned the ministry?" Mm. And so I just want you to know I have a wider view of ministry. Yeah, that it's not always work just primarily in the local church, but it's
1: always to support the local church. Absolutely, that's 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 an amazing point on that. So I I did a podcast with. Dr. Jonathan Morgan, who's also a professor at Indiana Wesleyan, we talked about the importance of formal theological education. If you haven't listened to that, if you're out there listening, uh, make sure you go check it out because it touches on a point that you just touched on, which is the church has a stigma about higher levels of theological education. But not to get off topic on that, if you want to hear more about that, you'll have to listen to Dr. Morgan talk about it. But... When it comes to family in ministry, and when it comes to your experience specifically when it comes to being in ministry, how can we be good husbands and wives while we are in ministry? Um, It asks the
0: question as to whether or not you want to be a godly husband and a godly wife. Or do you simply want to be a minister that's married? Mm. So how about if I go back and talk about language that I, I don't want to just play language games, yes. but I want to develop our priority for marriage. Yes. Is that my relationship with God personally is a covenantal relationship mm. where he has pledged to be faithful to me as my God. Yeah. He's made a covenant with me. And I actually have a bilateral relationship with him meaning that uh, I am pledging to be covenantally faithful to him in our relationship the same thing is true with my wife is that when uh, Angie and got, Angie and I got married 40 years ago we pledged covenant faithfulness to one another with the model of our vertical ones so yeah. this is a horizontal covenantal relationship uh, I have a vertical, covenantal relationship with my heavenly father.
1: Mm.
0: I have a calling to ministry Mm -hmm. and often the problem comes about when my calling actually trumps my covenant. Mm. So I think when I was um, first being trained in ministry, so I was at a Bible college and first being trained in ministry I was taught that calling is the highest you can have. Mm. It is the voice of God speaking to a man or to a woman, calling him or her into ministry, and that trumps everything else. The only problem is scriptures don't seem to reflect Mm. that. So Maybe the
1: more important authority there, right? (laughs) uh, I would hope so. I would hope so.
0: So uh, there are a number of pastors, or excuse me, uh, men and women about my age, now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, mm-hmm. so this was not the effect, but I have a lot of friends who came as pastors, kids, mm. PKs, out of a home where the calling trumped the family. Right. And so a number of people, as they were moving through their uh, um, adolescent years, abandoned the faith
1: because mm-hmm.
0: it was clear that God cared more for their calling than for the covenant relationship. Mm-hmm. It's helpful for me to reverse that, and to basically say my loyalty is first to my relationship with God, yeah, and second to my relationship with my wife Angie and my children, Josh, firstborn, Hannah, uh, um, and then their spouses and then their children. So that's my first. Our, my first covenant relationship is vertical. Mm-hmm. Second is horizontal. And then my calling comes out of the overflow of that. It is not the reverse. Right. So when I get that straight, um, well, if I don't get that straight, Angie reminds me that I haven't (laughs) got it straight. And I give her, now, uh, I need it, it's important. I give her total permission to correct my behavior Mm. because we've already agreed on the basic theology. Mm -hmm. It is her at times, as you know, Tyler, especially being around here at Indiana Wesleyan we kind of get into the flow of a semester and you just get overwhelmed with work. That's right. Um, And Angie will remind me that I need to make sure I spend time with her nourishing that relationship. I need to let my children know that I love and care for them. My grandchildren, I need to just go and visit them Mm -hmm. and have them come running towards me (laughs) and saying all the things that nourishes my soul. And then I actually pastor my students out of the overflow of that relationship
1: rather than rob one for the other. Right. So, so then you would say you become a more effective minister and more effective pastor by loving your family well and working out of that overflow. Um, I would choose that. That, That's a fine
0: choice. Mm -hmm. Um, Effective and efficient sounds really mechanical, doesn't it? It does. Um, I want my students to know that I love them mm-hmm. and that the love that I have for them comes out of the love that I've had for my, my family, mm. that they get that overflow. It's not just me being able to click off things on a day timer. Right. It's not mechanical.
1: It is truly relational. And so I know I'm 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 being a little bit picky on words, but words matter and words have meaning, and when they have meaning, it helps us to get a little bit deeper and see more of the nuance when it comes to this. Correct. So, Correct. so you laid out an ordering of our priorities of our relationships as pastors. I'd I'd love to say that. Uh, what I
0: would say is that in the early years, um, so let me give you just a, just a hair of background. Uh, I did not know the Lord at all when I met Angie. Mm. She is the one that introduced me to Christ himself. Praise God. Not so much, I'm not going to say through theology and not through great teaching, but just through her life. Mm. It was clear that Christ was at the center of her life, and that's how she made her decisions. I'd never met anybody like that. So I followed her around like a puppy dog (laughs) in those opening weeks and months as we were getting to know each other. I became a Christ follower, mm. but I really had nothing to base that on other than um, an initial view of who he is in her and a few other people, but then just the, just the infancy of reading scripture. And so we actually got married. So we met in January. We were engaged in April and married in August of the same year. Wow! And I met Jesus in the midst of all of that. So that, that was, was a, a great year. It was a good year, but I will tell you it was a challenging year Yeah, because Christ was calling me to reorient my entire worldview. Mm. Uh, I will tell you there's a whole lot of mistakes I made in that process. I was trying to figure out what it meant to be a husband and at the same time to be a godly husband. So I'd seen a lot of models in the world of being yeah. husbands, but the call of Christ to be a godly man in the midst of a relationship with a woman is was something new so that was being formed and shaped so what Angie and I did we're both middle children mm-hmm. so it really means as am i okay so uh, you're probably the peacemaker in the family <laughs> yeah. so there's the Firstborn, that's kind of aggressive and, that's right. and an overachiever, <laughs> and then the, the 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 baby of the family. We have a uh, um, my sister. I have an older sister and a younger sister. Um, she is the baby of the family. Mm. Not that she was nurtured that way. She just spent a lot of time alone with my parents. Right. Um, so the issue was, I did not know how to have a fight. Mm. I'm a peacemaker. Yeah. Angie's a middle child. She doesn't know how to fight. But there were problems that we had in our marriage that we kept encountering again and again and again. And we sat down. um, I could take you to a place where we sat down at a table and began to say, how can we solve this? I am tired of having the same disagreement over and over. And now I was just developing language to do this. But I said to her, it appears as if we are coming at this from different values. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll use the word Worldview. Yeah. Now when I use the word worldview, I don't mean what I see. I mean the glasses that I'm wearing and I look through
1: Mm -hmm.
0: the worldview or the things that you value that you're leaning into. And we just different on our worldview. So we began to sit down and say, okay, let's identify all the places where we have interpersonal conflict. Mm. Fights. Yes. Um And we identified those and began to realize we have different values. And then we just basically said, what do the scriptures teach us about this? So probably 25, 30 years ago, we came up with our own personal values Mm. on how to express what we believe to be the mission, the value system of the Smith family. Mm. Not what Angie brought to the marriage, not what I brought to the marriage, but, but we agree is God's word speaking into our life. and So we began putting these together. And um, I think you're going to put in the show notes. I
1: absolutely will, yes. What is
0: the Smith family values or what I might call the missio dei, mm-hmm. the mission of God in the life of the Smith family. Mm. So um, I, I've got a printed out list in front of me. I can kind of look through these. Or I can tell you the the makeup of these. The very first thing that we isu- the issue that caused problems was I looked at people since I came from a significantly sinful past. Mm. Um, I, if it's okay, I, I won't go into a lot absolutely, of absolutely, right yeah. But I was a very broken young man, and broken people live out a lives that uh, don't reflect Jesus. Mm. That was my life. So I begin with the basic presupposition. That transformation is the biggest value in our home. Mm. I know what it's like when God comes upon the life of a person and changes them. Mm. So the very first value that Angie and I came up with, was this, it was called transformation. We believe in the power of a transformed life. We will never forget where we've come from, sinners saved by grace. Mm. However, with the empowerment of the spirit of God, we will not allow our past to, to prevent Christ from fully reshaping his image within us. Mm. That is our highest value. Yeah. So when I see broken people, me coming from a broken background, I anticipate that's the way they're going to live.
1: Mm.
0: Now it's funny. Angie, on the other hand, grew up in the church and sometimes the church has a basic presupposition would say, Tyler, just stop acting that that's way. That's right. Yep. Um, me not growing up that way, I expect you to act that way mm-hmm. because that's the way sinners act. Right. And all of a sudden we realized, oh, let's value the possibility of what God can do in any life. Yeah. That's our first primary value. So that changes the way you see people behaving in the world, whether it's uh, um, a drug addict on the street. Mm. Hear me carefully. And I'll go a little bit into my past. That easily could have been me. Mm. That was the life that I was in Mm. until Angie whispered the name Jesus into my ear. Wow. So I don't look at him as lost. Mm -hmm. I look at him as somebody that I can see. And is there a way I can take him or her by the hand and lift them up? Yeah. That's our Smith family value beginning.
1: Mm.
0: Second, um, because of my broken past, I'm a really good liar. Mm. I mean, I can say something to you so convincingly that you can believe it, even though it's totally untrue.
1: Mm.
0: Angie cannot tell a lie. <laughs> as a matter of fact, if Angie buys me a Christmas present, she buys it about, let's, let's say, uh, Halloween, around the end of October. Mm-hmm. By Thanksgiving, I will get it because she's hidden it and she feels so guilty <laughs> for hiding something. She gives me a Christmas present at Thanksgiving. Oh, my goodness. But me. I can be an excellent liar. Yeah. So our second value is that of integrity. We will display before people our transparent selves. Mm. You will always see who I am. I could be hurting. You will see that. I could be happy. You will see that. Um, But you will always hear me being a truth teller into the situation itself. Mm. That's a Smith family value we will be people of integrity. Mm. Um, that's not what our culture does. No, um, we we use and manipulate facts yes. to further our agenda. That's right. My agenda is just simply to make Jesus famous. Mm. So if that's my agenda, um, integrity is vital because I may be the only Jesus you'll ever see. Yeah. So I'm not talking about evangelism. I'm talking about what does it mean to fabricate a Smith family value system? Mm. So if you, it would, if you would ask our kids, um, we came up with these values when they were very, very small. Mm. So they've never seen us live a life with fights. If, if you ask my son, what does it look like when when your mom and dad fight? He would kind of look at you, go, uh, I, I don't know. I've, I've never seen that. Yeah. I'll let you know when it happens. Yeah. Because we have agreed to these values in advance. Yeah. And when life happens, entire life happens, mm. when COVID happens, when right. just begin to say, when when the political structure begins to say you're either defined by being red or blue. Right. And you have to choose. Um, Twitter teaches us how to fight. Right. Christ says, to the best of your ability, live in peace with one another. Mm-hmm. And that begins in your home. Right. So. Yeah. Um, and then the third, and then we, I'll, I'll let you kind of uh, um, push back a little bit. <laughs> the third value we have is about our home. Now, mm-hmm. notice I didn't say a house. Right. I said a home. In the scriptures, the very place where God dwells, his house, his home, is the temple in Jerusalem. After Pentecost, it's very clear that the Spirit is both poured out upon people, individuals, Mm. and on the homes. That's why the early churches were called house churches. It's where the Spirit dwelt amongst people. Mm. We believe that the Spirit pours out His blessing on the Smith home.
1: Mm.
0: Home. We will win at home first. Mm. So if you ask me the question... Um, do students know that I love them? They do, but they also know they're not my first love. Mm. My wife, my son, my daughter, their spouses, grandchildren, my sisters, that is my first love. And again, my students know I love them, but it comes out of that love for the home. And here's the second part of home. We will always point one another and our children towards christ. Mm. So it's not it's not like I'm trying to evangelize my right. kids. I'm not I'm not trying to make something mechanical. I am trying to live as a godly husband. I'm trying to watch Angie live as a godly wife or godly woman and the kids are watching us relate to one another yeah. and they go, "Wait a minute. If you guys are living truly as one, Maybe that's what I'm hungry for. Yeah. You're making me hungry for Jesus. Mm. So it's not like I'm trying to take my kids down the four spiritual laws right. and at the very end. Say, Will you please confess Jesus as Lord? Right. I want to make them hungry yeah. for what it means to be a godly man. Angie's trying to make our kids hungry for being a godly woman, um, and they want
1: what we are offering to yeah. one another. Yeah, and speaking specifically on home, when it comes to the home, a lot of parents across America and probably around the world abdicate the responsibility of being that kind of teacher to schools, to pastors, to others than taking that responsibility on themselves. Yeah. And when, it, when Scripture talks about teach your children in the way they should go, like you said, it's not a a point-by-point list of these are the do's and don'ts. It's teaching them by modeling for them what it looks like to be godly men and women so closely clinging to Christ and each other.
0: Agreed. Um, Both Old and New Testament say the responsibility for the teaching of Christ is in the home Mm. and the church should support that absolutely yes we've turned it upside down yes. and said okay you teach my kids in sunday school and then when they come home uh, I'll, I'll try to support that
1: right it's just the opposite or i'll email you and disagree <laughs> that's right that's right yeah um
0: so I, I i think the vitality of christ dwelling in a home it's not just the teaching of the book of Acts. It's not just the teaching of the book of Ephesians. It should be our, our daily walk. Yes. So one of the gifts that Angie has given to me and to our family is every place we've been, she has turned our house, not just into a home, but into a sanctuary mm. where God is always welcome and other people are welcome. And my hope and prayer is that when they come into the home, they... I'll use this phrase, uh, used both in the Psalms and in the book of 1 Peter, that people will taste and mm. know that the Lord is good. So when they yes. sit at Angie's table and taste, they realize this is more than just good food. Mm. This is a Christ-like experience. So um, we, we don't do it now because, uh, uh, number one, we're a little bit older. Uh, number two, we live, uh, uh, you've been out to our house, a, yes. a, a far piece from Marion. That's right. But when... Uh, when Angie and I began here in the year 2000, um, she began something. She said, I want your students to know the, the Dave Smith, not just in the classroom, but at home. Mm. So for the first 10 years we were here at Indiana Wesleyan, every single student that took me for a class came over to our house for dinner. Individually or all- as a cl- uh, could be individually, but often it was almost all of my classes are advanced Bible classes mm. where there's a major exegesis paper due at the end of the semester. So I would literally kill the student in the classroom <laughs> and then they would bring that final project to our house. There would be a box there that I would actually have uh, um, um, the, the sacrificial offering on mm-hmm. the front of the box. They would put the assignment in there. And then come into the house, and Angie would serve a full meal wow. to every student that I had, um, and that ended up creating an environment where they don't just know me as Doctor Smith. Mm-hmm. This is this is Dave and Angie,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, and they see us as pilgrims on a journey with them. Yeah, we may be a little bit farther along just because we're older, but we need each other to guide one another in what it means to operate not just in the classroom, but a holy home.
1: Yeah, and, and what you said may be for listeners a good litmus test to see where they're at. If you were to, you were to show somebody who you are at home versus who you are in the church, are they different? Mm. Are, they, are they vastly different? Are, are, are they completely opposite? Are they similar? What is, what is the difference here? And that might be a good litmus test for, for listeners, for myself, for all of us to really lean into that. Yeah. Well, you can see how these are, I, I've got these listed out in order
0: of priority. The number one is I believe that God can transform anybody's mm, life. Yes, He can change them in a way that dramatically implants his image on their hearts. Mm. Second, integrity. He's calling us to be honest to who we are. Yes. And then that reflects, how does that look like in the home? Not, not your profession, not your calling. What does that look like in the home? So when somebody comes into the home, they go, wait a minute. The Dave that I see in the classroom, he's the same mm. as here. And, and, I, and I will tell you that anybody that's ever had me for a class, know that Angie comes up in every single mm. class. I, I don't physically bring her into the classroom, but I talk about her.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I want everybody to know that she is the most important person in mm. my life. There are no rivals and yeah. there never will be any rivals yeah. because wherever I go, I take her. Mm. That is integrity and home. So home doesn't end when I back my car out of the driveway. Right. I am protecting my home even when I'm out in the marketplace, mm. because Angie goes
1: with me. Wow. And I never talk like she's not with me. Yeah. And that's funny you say that because my first introduction to you was actually when you were speaking in Florida at, a, at the district conference mm. for the Wesleyan Church. You were doing a bunch of different um, sermons on Mark. And I do remember you did emphasize and talk about Angie quite a bit and i can't remember if she was there or not but no, it was florida no. uh, well i was going to say it's florida so she should have been there but well
0: i'll tell you what it was if, if you recall your district conference it was florida in july oh angie yes. said january i'm there <laughs> july
1: i'll stay in canada <laughs> that's that's a great point that's a good
0: point uh, well um again as 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 we're talking there is something so important about thinking about my marriage and decisions that flow out of that, mm. not necessarily in how a husband and a wife, um, agree on things. It is asking the question. This is the prayer of Jesus in John chapter 17, three times. He prays this very same thing. Father, I pray that they would be one
1: mm.
0: like you and I are one. Mm. So my model is not to look around and say, let me see some good marriages out there yeah. and I'll model my life upon their success. I want to look at how the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit actually work together Mm. in oneness. So let me give you an example, again, from the Gospel of John. Um, In John chapter 13, Jesus, verse 1, is about to reveal the full extent of his love to his disciples. Now, apparently, he's been doing these great miracles, and they're not catching who he is. They see him as a wonder worker, but nothing more than that. And so he wants to reveal love, here's the word, to the end. Mm. What does he do? He takes off his uh, outer garments, puts on a towel, and washes the feet of the disciples. Mm. Now, three times in chapters 1 through 12, Jesus says, I only say what I've heard the Father say. So they speak in oneness, mm. one voice. Three times he says, I only do what I've seen the Father do. Mm. So, Tyler, and to the listeners out there, where did Jesus learn foot washing?
1: Mm.
0: He learned it in heaven.
1: Mm.
0: He saw the Father wash his feet. Mm. That expressed love to the Son. Mm. And now Jesus is replicating that on earth. Yes. So, I don't want to use, I mean, good marriages are a good model. Mm Mm-hmm but that's not the way I want to shape my marriage. I would love it if Angie would see um, me use some silly illustrations, carrying out the garbage Mm. as being me washing her feet. Yeah, Um, Angie's up in Wisconsin now taking care of our grandchildren. She'll be coming home today. Now I will tell you that after the podcast is over and after I have a meeting with somebody else, I'm going home. (laughs) Believe it or not, I'm going to vacuum the floor before mm. she gets there. It is my way of washing her feet. So when she comes in, she will realize he has served me even while I've been gone. Mm. So here's a silly statement on this. This is, this is I mean, so many different traditions in England. So when I was doing my PhD there, there was all kinds of things I popped or that, that came to mind. One of them was the thought, this is the talking about what is, what is a statement of integrity about an English person um, an Englishman a gentleman is one who uses a butter knife even when there's no one else around
1: mm.
0: are you the same person? Are you a godly yes. husband when your wife is there mm-hmm. or are you the same person when she's not mm. do I say the things that she wants to hear only when she's present right or do I act? Like she is always with me. Mm. This is a difference between a covenant and a calling. Mm. I have an agreement with Angie that I will always be my true self before her. Anything short of that is a breaking of a covenant and me mm. creating some sort of idol mm-hmm. that I'm actually saying to Angie, look at this. This is who I want you to look at right. rather than who I really am. Mm. I can't be the person that I need to be without Christ. Yeah, um, we're called to love God, love our neighbor as ourselves. Uh, I can't love Angie without the love of God mm. overflowing to me because it's it's exhausting if you try. To please people, yes. you're always guessing. So, what does she want me to do? What does she want me right. to say? Versus, I just simply want to be a godly man and live out of that. Yes. Uh, to me, it makes life so much easier mm. than trying to please people. Yes. If there are ministers out there, They know the exhaustion and the burnout that comes from trying to please other people. Yes. And that's the difference. If your ministry is your primary focus, you need to please the people in front of you. Right. And that will tear up your home relationships. On the other hand, if you just act as a person of integrity at home and keep practicing that, that's who you will be Mm. as a pastor. You will be an authentic person. You will take home wherever you go, so the presence and the pleasure of God is always with you mm. and it's not exhausting. it's it's a matter of, I mean I, I usually say this in the in the morning with Angie. She says now um, so so what's today's schedule look like? and I'll say this, I get to teach mm. today or on a Sunday, she'll say so so what's on the I, I get to preach today. I don't have to yeah. I get to, and I'm praying for God's favor on my life that when I speak, they just might hear him and not me because I've practiced that all day long at home.
1: Mm -hmm. Wow.
0: So I actually have seven family values. People can see that. Um, There's been some changes over the years, I've got a, a list of uh, four things on spiritual disciplines. Mm. Everybody has to kind of work out what are the disciplines that actually draw you closer to Christ. Mm. What are the things that kind of call you out of your self-centeredness and place you in the midst of uh, uh, of the Holy Spirit? Um, over the years, these have changed a little bit with me. I can be a workaholic. Mm. Um, and the problem with workaholism is that it ends up asking people to evaluate you based upon what you do. Mm. It's a performance-oriented life. Personally, for me, Tyler, that is destructive. Mm. Um, and so Angie and I have included one in here, which is we will practice the Sabbath. Mm. I, I know we all know that. Right. And we try to do that. Um, I love it sometimes. By the end of the semester, there was so much grading, so many things to do that um, I confess to you and our listeners that I'm often working at least seven days a week. Mm. Now, I know it sounds funny, but the problem is without a Sabbath, it it just ends up being an eight day week, nine day right. week, ten. I mean, it is so unhealthy. And Angie will lovingly say to me, "I must have missed the family meeting," and and I'll kind of say, "Well, what do you mean?" Well, somehow our family values got changed, and you we we must have voted to vote off the island the Sabbath day practice. That's her kind way of saying, "Stop sinning, and come home." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that that helps me. So whatever spiritual... Dis- sometimes I know pastors actually say, I don't have time to take my alone time with God. Mm. Who are you being shaped? What what right. image are you being shaped into? Right. Is this, are you being shaped like God, Jesus, who always took time away with God? Or are you being shaped by the evil one that yeah. never takes a day off? Right. Um, so I love it. The, the family values are so helpful for me because Angie keeps calling me back to accountability yes. to be a person of integrity. Yes. So, wherever you are, I'll just say this wherever you're weak in your spiritual disciplines, um, give your spouse permission to lovingly and compassionately call you out of your sin mm. and into a holy
1: walk. Well, and when it comes to Sabbath, I think it's important to kind of jump jump into that a little bit because it is a hot topic you know especially in american culture we are a go 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 society we're an instant gratification kind of society and for pastors especially pastors of a small church where they're the only pastoral staff and they're doing everything they're cutting the grass right they're you know trimming the bushes they're fixing the hole in the roof they're doing whatever under the sun to make sure the church is flowing well. right? And Sabbath, that's unheard of for some pastors. A sabbatical even, that's something no pastor will, some pastors will never take a Sabbath or a, a sabbatical, a break from ministry to, to recenter and recalibrate and refocus on God. What does a Sabbath day look like for you and Angie?
0: And, and it does vary. It varies on location, time of year, etc. But can I can I again give you? I always like to start with a theological mooring, mm. and when I have that, then I can see what a human reflection of that looks like. Absolutely, Sabbath is um, well the very first thing that God declares to be holy in the Bible mm. is time. Mm. It's the seven days of cre- or six days of creation that on the seventh day He declares it holy, and He rests. Now. Um, if we had time and I can actually take you through some of the Hebrew roots of the words in there, um, it might surprise you Mm. because theologically speaking, if we actually say that creation tired God out and he had to take a day off, that that's, that's got problems written all over it. It doesn't mean that in the ancient world, in every culture of the ancient world, there were temples everywhere. Um, Temples were created as the residence for God. And, and the very end of the creation of the temple is bringing the icon of the God mm. into the temple. Mm-hmm. That mean, that's the a, a, a designation of his presence. And then the God takes over control. That's precisely what Genesis chapter 1 is. Mm. It is God creating his temple, Eden, mm-hmm. All heavens and all earth is the temple of God. The icon is the human beings that are made in the image of God, that are placed in Eden. And then on the seventh day, God sits on the throne, and when it says he rests, it means he rests from creation, and now he takes control. Mm. He is ruling heaven and earth, or he is ruling heaven, He's ruling earth, From heaven, and his agents of ruling is actually Adam and Eve, Mm. us, Mm -hmm. because we are his icon. Mm -hmm. So a Sabbath day for me is beginning to say, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a professor. I'm not a pastor. Mm -hmm. I am just a child of the king. Mm -hmm. And God, I'm going to let you rule from heaven. You take over. Today, I cease being in charge. Mm. The world does not need me. Yeah. So if you send me an email and ask me, uh, Dave, I'm working on an assignment. I, I need to know what the answer to this is so I can finish it. Um, I won't get that email. Yeah. Uh, you don't need me. Mm. Um, if you call me on the phone, um, I won't pick up because you really don't need me. Mm. Because if you do, I'm not letting God, take charge. Mm. I need to find a way where I become dispensable. Mm. The problem is as a professor here, I can feel that I'm indispensable in the classroom. Students right. need, if I am not there, they will not hear wisdom. They will not hear truth. They need me. As a pastor, it's the same way. Is uh, um, We can become dependent upon a human being. Mm. And we actually do disservice to Jesus. So for pastors, I know how hard it is to take a day off. I, I get this. Mm. But if you're teaching your church that you are indispensable, they really don't need Jesus. Mm. And in most cases, um, you will leave that church eventually. Yeah. And if they are basing their faith upon you as a human being, you have done a disservice to the kingdom. The mm. best thing a pastor can do is to take a day off for his or her own good, yes, and for the teaching of the congregation. Um, we we began this in ministry. Um, uh, probably some of your listeners, not many, but some of your listeners may be a little bit older, like me, when there used to be um, landlines going into a house before cell yeah, no. yeah before cell phones. <laughs> with an answering machine. Mm. Um, And our kids knew this. This is the way we taught our kids they were more important. If a phone call, I don't care what day of the week it was, if a phone call came in during dinner, I never answered the phone. Mm. And sometimes there would be a message. You would always hear the answering machine click on, and people, oh, Pastor Dave, the house is on fire. Am I... My, my dog is lost, whatever. right? They would be talking about all the dilemmas in the, and how they need to talk to me. And the phone would hang up and then I would just go back to talking to my kids. Mm. My kids realized they were the most important thing in the universe. Mm. And a lost dog or even a lost son mm. was not more important than my children. Wow. Um, it, was, it was me trying to show them that home, however you want to define it, mm-hmm. is the most important aspect. Um, it is the covenant that I have with God, and it was not my calling. Mm.
1: Mm. With Sabbath, its I've heard it said in different different avenues, it can be just a few hours, it can be a day, it can be whatever, but no matter what it is... It is this total stepping back, pushing away from the table we always come to and maybe pulling up to a new one. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that metaphor because um, very often I do a lot of sitting. Mm. Well, when I'm in class, I'm always wandering around talking. But when I'm in my office, I'm sitting the whole day. And so me actually sitting on a Sabbath day is just like every other day. Mm. So I need to do something different. So so you go skydiving? Uh, and <laughs> uh, not, not quite, but often what I do is uh, um, I've got about five acres of property, and there are about three acres of really ugly trees on the property. <laughs> and I'm trying to thin those out so that I can uh, replant, um, if you will. I'm taking back the Garden of Eden. Mm. I'm being Adam. So I've got a chainsaw, and I know how to use it. And so I'll cut wood, I'll trim, I'll I'll do something that's much more physical. So I cease from my labors of being a pastor or a professor mm. and I end up trying to be much more like Adam in the garden, caring, intending wow. for creation. Yeah.
1: That's that's a that's a beautiful way to experience a Sabbath as well. Yeah. So it, that's,
0: is, it is for me. Yeah.
1: Well, let's keep going on your Values list here.
0: Um, the next one is ministry. It's how do I actually then describe ministry after I talk about all the stuff that goes on in the home? So here is our call to ministry, if you will. We will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbors as ourselves. Can you hear the plurals in that? Mm. This is myself. This is Angie. This is my family. This is not me. This is we. Yeah, this is two becoming one so that when we do these things, they are done in what I hope is a, what would be a nice metaphor, a holy habitation together mm. versus something that I do when I'm apart from Angie. Right. Our neighborhood begins with one another and with our children and with their children. And then it extends to our place of service, Indiana Wesleyan, our local church, college Wesleyan Church. Finally, our neighborhood increase as we seek to share Christ with the rest of his world. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the way we define ministry. And sometimes it doesn't necessarily mean something formal that we do. Yeah, It's the informal conversations that we have at Walmart, when we're out to dinner. I mean, the longer you live in a community, the more you have a tendency to come into contact with people you know. Out at Casa Brava when mm. you're having a Mexican meal, yeah. Um, and so ministry doesn't have to be something where I'm standing behind a pulpit teaching, standing behind a lectern teaching. It's where I'm just being a uh, a lover of my family in front of uh, other people that are wrestling with what it means to to do life. Wow. So so ministry to me is much more mysterious. And much more uh, open-ended than it is very mechanical mm. and and carefully laid out. I, I don't need to have a business card that says Dave Smith Pastor. Right. Um, if you will, our, my business card is my life, my mm. heart.
1: As it should be. Uh,
0: well, and that that's just the way Angie and I have come to this conclusion. My daughter Hannah asked me a really profound question a couple of years ago. And she asked me this question. So I've taught here since 2000. So, Dad, who are you if you're not teaching?
1: Mm.
0: Tyler, that, that hit me like a ton of bricks. What if, what if I don't have the title of professor? Mm. What if I don't have the title of pastor? Who am I? Here are the words that I repeat over myself nearly every day. They are the words the Father spoke over Jesus at his baptism. You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. That's the message I want to hear from the Father. That if I am trying to replicate the the vertical, the covenant that I have with him in my family, all other titles are mm. of secondary importance. They are a love I have. I mean, I love teaching, I love preaching. It's not my first love. Mm. My first love is my home, my wife, yes. my kids. Yeah. Hmm. So then the, the sixth of the seventh va- values that we have is about finances. In other words, what about stuff? Right. <laughs> Notice these are laid out in order of priority. Mm-hmm. So what about stuff? We will endeavor to hold on to material things loosely. Money is simply a tool our service in Christ's kingdom. Wow. So that's easy to write. Right. We don't have something, uh, but the question is, okay, this is the value that we have. So Angie and I have, over the years, we have um, bought new cars. Mm. So I buy a new car and I drive it for 15 years. Mm. A car is just simply transportation. Now, I I understand the logic of... uh, Um, all kinds of financial counselors that say, don't buy a new car, buy a used car because you lose so much money as you're driving it off. That's that's making an assumption you're going to trade it in in two or three years. I keep them for 15. Um, If you take care of them. Now, not every car has been as good as others. Right. But primarily, Angie and I have bought new cars, kept them for 15 years, and then bought another new car. Mm. It's just a means of transportation. It's not my image. Right. It's not anything more than transportation. I don't need the best of everything. I just need something that functions well. Right. So again, finances is just another way of talking about, I could just put the word stuff. Right. But it's, um, how hard do we want to work? How much do I want to make? And I, w- I will will tell you that uh, I go out and speak and teach in a lot of local churches and they will often ask me the question, so, 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 so Dave, how much does it cost for you to, co- how much will it cost us for you to come right. and teach in our church? Oh, nothing. And they'll go, well, wait a minute. What do you mean nothing? No, it doesn't, doesn't cost. If you pay for my transportation, so if I'm going out to Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. give me a plane ticket, yeah. give me a hotel and pay my bills. Um, but don't, no, no stipend, right. nothing like that. Yeah, And the reason being is that um, Indiana Wesleyan pays me a salary. Um, and this is the overflow from that. Mm. I have health insurance. I have a salary here. I will serve the local church because I'm enabled to do that because I have a career here. Right. I give back to the and I, And I will tell you, rarely... Does the church let me do that? Mm. Um, they respond out of that act of love with their act of love. Mm-hmm. It's 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 the it's the word grace. We when we think about the word grace, we think that God has given us something we don't deserve, and we often think of it as free grace that there's no response expected. Mm. But I will tell you, Tyler, in the ancient world, grace or gift giving always anticipated. A response. Mm. In other words, if I give you a gift in the ancient world, or go to a lot of third world countries, if you give somebody a gift, they must give you something back Mm. in response. And so when God pours out his grace on his life, on our lives, you say, What he's given his whole life to us. What do we do? Romans chapter 12. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to make your bodies, mm. now hear me carefully, listen to the plural and the singular, to give your bodies, a whole bunch of individuals, as one living sacrifice. Mm. That's what we give back to God. We give ourselves to one another, so that as a unified body, we can give ourselves back to God. Mm. That's our response. So if I give to a local church, here is my time, here is my, my training. And they go, how about if we send you back with a gift so that you can buy a plane ticket to the next church you're going to? Mm. And then they pay it forward and they pay it forward. Wow. It is the beauty of the body of Christ. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Even the line in here money is simply a tool for our service in Christ's kingdom. That That is such a counter cultural statement in our society because. Money is the driving force for pretty much everything. If you're going to go anywhere, you need some form of money to buy buy your way, to do anything. Very few things are actually totally free. True. True. And with that statement in mind, that money is simply a tool for our service in Christ's kingdom, it reshapes our thinking towards... Christ and his kingdom over our own wants and desires. Yeah, good word.
0: Um, how about if I kind of turn that upside down? Often, we see it a value of being countercultural. Mm. How about if we actually thought about, say, Colossians chapter 3 that says, Set your mind on things above rather mm. than things below. So instead of us being countercultural, how about being biblically Ooh. accurate? Ooh. I'm I'm just seeking out what Christ yeah. sought. I'm not trying to be against something. Right. I'm for something. Mm. Um, that's a good yeah. That's a good word. Yeah. And how about the, the, the final statement we have here? God's call. So notice how I haven't worded it this way, but all these earlier ones are about my covenant relationship. And now, now we're finally to God's call. <laughs> we will not live a life of regret. Mm. Um, hear me, that's forged out of a lot of regrets mm. where I've thought about doing something and then made a decision. No, nah, no, nah, that's too costly. Yeah. And then down the road regretting it. Mm. And Angie and I about 20 years ago said, I will not live a life of regret. Mm. So in 2010, so 22 years ago, I got. Real it.
1: quick, because I'll cut it together. So it's not, it's 1202.
0: Oh. Yes. So. Okay. Yes. Okay. Um, so let me, I'll try to close with this. Yep. That's okay. So, Tyler, in 2010, I was the dean of the School of Theology and Ministry mm. here. And uh, um, I had the job that every other theologian in the Wesleyan Church wanted, mm. but I had it. And I got an invitation to go to what was then called Bethany Bible College, Mm. a small Bible college up in New Brunswick, Canada, out in the middle of nowhere. So I was working at the largest Wesleyan school with the biggest student population. And I was being asked to consider going to the smallest school with Mm. the smallest student population. And I laid out, you can lay this out, pluses and minuses. Does this make sense? Of course, the answer was no, mm. because I was being called to go to a place that I was going to work harder and get paid less. Mm. That makes absolutely no sense. Right. But I will tell you that Angie and I sat down deeply. We sat with our kids. As a matter of fact, my daughter just got married. The weekend when I got the job offer to go to Canada, mm. I had just done the wedding for my daughter and son-in-law. My son and daughter-in-law was sitting on the floor of a room. Um, and I asked my son, Joshua, what should I do? I just don't know what to do here. And he goes, well, dad, I don't want you to go. <laughs> At the time, Josh and Laura and their kids, they live right here in Marion. Dad, I don't want you to go. I went, great, I'll stay. <laughs> Here's what he said. Dad, all the years I've known you, you've always said yes to God. Mm. Is today the first time you're going to say no? Mm -hmm. And Again, I realized it was that witness that we had laid out before our kids that I will not live a life of regret. Mm. I will listen to the voice of God and obey. And Mm -hmm. we went to New Brunswick, Canada. The first year was the hardest year of our life. Our marriage, we left literally all of our infrastructure here, our network of friends, left our home, um, left our children. It was a hard year. But after that, Angie and I so fell in love with Canada Mm. that when we left four years later, we wept Mm. all the way out of the country. Wow. Um, I just don't ever want to regret not saying yes Mm. to Jesus. Mm. So that's why God's call is so, his voice, um, his assurance that I'm asking you to do something very hard, but I will, I will do exceedingly abundantly beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. Mm. Mm. So that's the Smith family values. And that's how we prioritize covenant above calling And I hope that the Lord will give Angie and myself another 40 years together. That would Mm. be great.
1: That would be sweet. That would be sweet. Thank you for sharing this. I will make this available for anyone that wants to check it out down in the show notes for this podcast. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk about this because I feel it's a very important topic for pastors, even young pastors who aren't even married, who might not even be thinking about a family to know before they even meet the person that they may marry. Mm. So thank you so much for sitting down with me here. Thanks, Thanks Tyler. Everyone listening. Thank you so much for sticking with us through this. All the music you heard on this podcast is done by the band Caledonia. They're a folk rock band from Fort Wayne. And we're very excited that they continue to partner with us and give us some incredible music. And I want to thank Indiana Wesleyan university for helping sponsor and host this podcast and the called collective. Thank you guys for listening and we'll catch you on the next one.